most of them are. And any time you have a government in which most of them are deceitful and tricky, you have to be on guard at all times. You have to know how they work this deceit and how they work these tricks. Otherwise, you find yourself in a, in a fire. And one of the best ways to get around or to face God being deceived is always form the habit of looking at things for yourself, listening to things for yourself, thinking for yourself before you try and come to any judgment. Never give your judgment of someone upon what someone else has said or upon what someone else has written, upon from what you read about someone that somebody else wrote. Never base your judgment on things like that, especially in this kind of country. And in this kind of society, which has mastered the art of very deceitfully painting images of people whom they don't like in an image that they know you won't like. So you end up hating their, uh, hating, uh, hating your friends and loving their enemies. Example, I was uh, flying from Algiers to Geneva about three or four weeks ago. And seated beside me on the airplane were a couple of Americans, both white, one a male and the other a female. Uh, one was a, a, an interpreter who worked in Geneva for the United Nations. The other was a girl who worked in one of the embassies in Algeria, some part of Algeria. We, got, we conversed for about 40 or 45 minutes. And then the, the lady, she says, uh, may I ask you a personal question? I said, yes. But they always do anyway. Uh, <laughs> Uh, she said, uh, what kind of, uh, what kind of name, last name did you have that begins with S? I said, that's it, S. So, uh, she said, that? Yeah, Well, what's your first name? I said, well, Malcolm X. Well, she waits about 10 minutes. And then she said, you're not Malcolm X. I said, yes, yeah, I'm Malcolm X. She said, well, you're not what I was looking for. And what you were looking for was what the newspaper, the press, had created. She was looking for the image that the press had created. Somebody with some horns, you know, that's about to kill all the white people, as if she could kill all of them. Or as if she shouldn't. She was looking for someone who was a rabble-rouser, who couldn't even converse with people with blue eyes, you know, someone that was irrational and things of that sort. Well, I take time to point this out because it shows how skillfully someone can take a newspaper and create an image of someone so that before you even meet them, you'll run. You don't even want to hear what they have to say. You don't even know them. All you know is what the press has had to say. And the press is white. And when I say the press is white, I mean it is white. can feed information to the press to make the, uh, your neighbor think you are something subversive. Yes, the yeah, they do it. Very skillfully. They, they maneuver the press on a national scale. And the CIA maneuvers the press on an international scale. They do all their dirt with the press. Take the newspapers and make the newspapers blow you and me up as if all of us are criminals. All of us are racists or all of us are drug addicts. For all of us are rioting. This is how they do it. 
when you when you expose legitimately against injustices that they heap upon you, they use the threat to make it look like you're abandoned. And if you were abandoned, you have a right to be abandoned. They, they master this imagery, this image making. They give you the image of an extremist, and from then on, anything you do is extreme. It's an extremist. You can pull a baby out of the water and, and save it from drowning. You're still an extremist. Because they've projected this image of you. You can be, they can see an image of you as a subversive. You can go out and die fighting for the United States. You're still subversive. Because the press has made you a subversive. They can paint the image of you as being someone irresponsible. And you can come up with the best program that will save the black man from the oppression of the white man. And when I say oppression, that's what oppression comes from, the white man. There's some oppressive black people, but they're only doing what the white man is taught. And when I say that, I'm not still blanket sleep condemning all white people. All of us don't oppress. All of us are Humanitarian. 
As long as they're uh, being piloted by anti-Castro Cubans, that makes it all right. For Castro's a villain, and anybody who's against him, whatever they do, that's humanitarian. You see how tricky they are? <laughs> American trained, anti-Castro, Dropping bombs on African villages that have no defense against bombs. There's no need to bomb them if they have no defense against bombs. And blowing black women to bits. When you drop a bomb, you don't look to see where it explodes. They do the thing, you know, if they drop it on the Japanese in Hiroshima, they don't even think about dropping it on Congolese. And you running around here getting all upset because a few white oxygen died. You're out of your mind. Out of your mind. They make murder, they take the press with their image, their ability to control you with image making. They make mass murder, mass murder, cold-blooded murder, look like a humanitarian project. All these thousands of black people dying in butchers, and you have no compassion in your heart whatsoever for them, because the victim has been made to look like he is the criminal. And the criminal has been made to look like he's the victim. Why, you and I should go on the rampage. I mean on the rampage. <laughs> Let's just take it one step farther before I get to that. To show you how they use this image to the press, and I'm not just condemning the press, but some of them are already, but most of them are. Take Stoney. That's a man that you should never let set foot in America. Oh. That man should never, that's the worst African that was ever born. The worst African that was ever born. He's a cold-blooded murderer. He murdered uh, Patrice Lumumba, the rightful prime minister of the Congo. And what has America done? Has used her press to give Stonebury a good image. Yes, the American press. Take this man who's a murderer. Cold-blooded murder. Didn't murder just somebody. Murder the prime minister. And they're going to use their press to make this man acceptable to the world. <laughs> he ought never be acceptable to the world. The world is not that dumb. It's not that easy to move. Now, some of us in this country need to be done. But not all of us. Just some of us. And those that haven't been fooled will do whatever is necessary to keep that man from setting foot on this country. He should be afraid to come here. He should think a long time before he comes here. Why? Because they told you when he came from the Congo. I mean, isn't that what they thought of the tool? So he came from the Congo. He's and all that kind of stuff from the Congo. Okay, so since you taught me all my life from the Congo, I love the Congo. That's my property. And that's my people that your airplanes are killing over there. They take Sunday, they drop him up with American dollars. 
They glorify his image with the American flag. What's the first thing he does? Now, tell him to murder him. He has been hired by the United States to rule the Congo. Yeah, that's all it boils down to. You can put it in a whole lot of pretty language, but we don't want pretty language for a nasty situation. He's a murderer who has been hired by the United States government and is being paid by your tax dollars, with your tax dollars, by the United States government. And to show you what he did, he is a hired killer. What's the first thing he did? He hired more killers. He went and got the mercenary from South Africa. And what is a mercenary? A hired killer. That's all a mercenary is, the anti-transport human pilot. What are they? Mercenaries. Hired killers. Who hired them? The United States. Who hired the killers from South Africa? The United States. They just used Johnny to do it. Just like, you know, they do it up in this country. They get old people and hire him and make him a big job. And he pushes the boys in the community and he tells all of them, come on in and join the organization with us. And they take it over. Then they give them peace prizes and medals and things. Facilities here in Harlem. That man. 
Now, whoever's here, that's who I'm talking about. I have to talk about him like this, but if I, if I talk about him any closer, they call me a racist. And I'm not a racist. I'm not against somebody because of their race, but I'm sure against them because of what they're doing. And if they're doing wrong, we can waste them. What by any means necessary. If you'll notice, as long as these blacks in the Congo were being slaughtered, mass scale, there was no outcry. But as soon as uh, a, a few whites, the lives of a few whites were involved, so the whole world became in an uproar. So what caused the world to become involved in an uproar? The press. The press made it appear that here, the uh, 2,000 lives of uh, white people are being held hostage. And they start crying and see the headlines, 80 of them were killed. Now the Africans didn't kill any of them. Uh, the brothers there in Spain, they didn't kill any of them. Until the paratroopers landed. But the paratroopers hadn't invaded their property, nobody would have been killed. They hadn't killed, and many people say that it wasn't the brothers in Spanish that killed them. Those paratroopers and mercenaries, they started shooting at everybody. You think I'm stupid? I was in London last Sunday, and in the Daily Express, a white writer, and I must say white because if I don't specify that this is a white man writing this, you think that I wrote. Or some black man wrote. Look what he says there in the uh, Daily Express, which is a far from left newspaper, far from uh, liberal, or liberal. A dump written by some Walter Parkinson from Sandyville, just after the paratroopers had dropped, he says, uh, a, uh, a dump strike by cannon firing deep 28. These are airplanes. Blown by Cuban mercenaries. Think of it. Hired killers from Cuba. Hired by whom? The Americans. Are oh, you living in our country that wants to pay for the sin that it has committed? It blew up the Reverend Warehouse headquarters and killed the mortars with Yet, more Chinese made mortar shells are still arriving. See, they throw this tiny thing in there to make it pleasure. Uh, they don't know whether it's Chinese mortar, but this is how the press does it. It always has words to justify their destruction of the, of the people that they're destroying. At 7 a.m., troops with Belgian mercenary armor and the Congo Army's uh, Diablo territory rode into the gunpowder shaped native city of Belgium. The troops started rebels Preparing to open fire from a house. Now think about this. And smash their way in, battering down doors, and breaking out men, women, and children. Now there wasn't rebels in the house. These were just black Congolese in the house. And to justify going in and dragging them out and uh, murdering them on the spot, they got to call them rebels. And this is the kind of operation that's going on in the Congo, and you don't hear these Negro leaders saying anything about it. Now, I know you don't like me to use the word Negro, but when I use it, in that sense, that's what I'm talking about. Negro leaders. Because that's what they are. Those aren't Afro-American leaders, those are Negro leaders. N-E-G-R capital O. A Belgian colonel snatched the camera from a stress photographer and said, you're both under house, house arrest and we'll report you on the next plane. Why didn't you want this to take it? 
Step on the house for house arrest, and we'll report to all the next time. Why didn't he want pictures taken? He didn't want pictures taken of what they were doing. The column moved on, and by noon, 10,000 uh, men, women, and children were crushed neck to neck under a blazing sun and ringed by Congo army troops armed with Tommy guns. To protect them from the sicker, happy Congo army, there were white head bandages around 10,000 heads. Around 10,000 heads. For well, this is a black and white trip. Think about it. Anyone without the bandage is shot. The bandage distinguishes those already seen or about to be given the treatment. And there are mounds of dead bodies everywhere to indicate those found one. Meaning any, any Congo without the bandage around his head was shot on sight in this tenement. And this is uh, being written by a white reporter who is not pro-Congolese at all. He's just telling the story as it actually is. Mass murder, wholesale murder, of black people by white people who are using some black mercenaries to all go through. Third, Southern Commando Pet Nigger. This is a little black goat. He had a little black, this white mercenary had a little black goat that he named Nigger. What do they do? Who think black they name a nigger? They named you Nigger, didn't they? Yeah. Well, I see one coming right now. Here comes my nigger. <laughs> Dick Gregory. <laughs> hey, Dick. Come on up Come on up here. Come on up here, Dick. Come on up here, Dick. We're going to get Dick investigated. I heard Dick on the, on the left screen show the other night talking about niggas. Hey, Dick, look what he's saying there. All right, here's my name. Y'all take a good look at it. Come on, I'm going to get him investigated. <laughs> get him, brother. Don't let him get away. He's going to lose all his jobs now. You won't get another booking. You'll have to work in Harlem the rest of your life. So look what he said. Two, uh, today, two thousand dogs seized the commando's head nigger, a little black kid goat. When we got there, the nigger was dying. And John Peters shot him and turned away with tears in his eyes. Here's a white mercenary that had been killing so many Congolese, they had to strap him up. With no compassion at all, he shot him down. But as soon as this little black goat got, was bitten by some dogs, he cried. He had more feelings. This is a white man, a teenager. Had more feelings in his heart for a, 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 a dead goat that was black than he had for all those facts and facts and facts of Congolese who look just like you and me and get ready. <laughs> That's why I say, uh, brothers and sisters, that it's not a case of worrying about what's going on in Africa before we get things laid over here. But it's a case of realizing that the uh, Afro-American problem is not a Negro problem or an American problem, but it's a human problem. The problem for humanity. And when you realize, when you look at your mind's problem in the context of the entire world, 
and see that it is a world problem, and that there are other people on this earth who look just like we do, who also have the same problem, then you and I become allies, and we can put forth our efforts in a, in a way to get the best result. Now, many of you have heard of it. I told them that uh, a friend of mine from Africa, who was a real driving-the-world human revolutionary, was on his way here. And when you walked in, you thought I was talking about you. Well, this is, and you don't know what I'm talking about, but this is a revolutionary. And this is, died in the world Africa. You don't want to be, but he is. <laughs> I don't mean died in the world, I mean that. But this is, an, as a, as a, one of the twelve most freedom fighters in this country. I think, yes. I say that in all sincerity. Dick has been on the battlefront and probably has made a greater sacrifice in that by taking the stand that he has, I'm quite certain that it has alienated many of the people who were alienated from it before he began to take these things. And whenever you see a person, a celebrity who is as widely, who is as widely known as you, and who is, who is, who is as skilled in his profession as Dick, and at the same time has, um, has the access to almost unlimited books which provide unlimited income, and he will jeopardize all of that in order to jump into the uh, front lines of the battle, then you and I have to stand behind him. And yes, yes. And I, I want Dick also to uh, hear our brother who's coming, so before he gets here, I think Dick better talk to him. Come on, Dick. Dick Gregory! Without the figure there. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to say thanks very much, Brother Malcolm, and I'd like for you to know one thing. He was the two lights he called me here. I don't play that.
So I want you to get around here and do more Christmas lights. <laughs> yeah, Jed Hoover just started acting up again. Yeah, he just, just started acting up and just, just got a little bit beside himself, man. Because now, what people say about the FBI is good in you don't believe me, follow me down to Mississippi next time. Well, I remember one day we were trapped in the alley with the two club playing on one end and the FBI on the other. And we flipped the car and decided which way we were going to go.
So, I, uh, while I'm on the phone, now I hear the FBI coming up the So I run up to the cop and I feel people are just real police, and it is my legitimate right to read your search warrant before I let you in. That the trip to the door, and sure enough, it says they were looking for a little brown box that might contain narcotics. So I went down the little brown box and flipped it through the little crack. I said, now nah, you can't come in my house because what you're looking for you have out there. And you never proved you got it out of my house because I proved you never been in here. All they raised there talking about kicking the door down and just about that time two FBI agents walked up and said, can we help you, Mr. Slavery? I said, yeah, them two cops out there trying to sell me some dope. Let me tell you something. Do you know why 
Now, brothers and sisters, you know, I'm, first, I'm very thankful that uh, Dick has been able to come out with us tonight. As I said, he is a freedom fighter. You can see him on the forefront of the battle line. And in this country, wherever a black man is, there is a battle line. Whether it's in the north, south, east, or west, you and I are living in a country that is a, a battle line for all of us. And tonight, I'm more than honored with the presence of a person who, who has been credited with being responsible for correcting the governmental system in an area of this earth where the system wasn't so good prior to the effort put forth by him. Many of you have heard of the island called Zanzibar. Zanzibar was famous for its headquarters uh, as a slave trading post. In fact, many of us probably uh, passed through there on our way to America 400 years ago. And it was on this island. Uh, uh, sometime last year, I think it was, that the government was overturned. From the, the African element on the island uh, got fed up with the situation that existed, and overnight they did what was necessary to bring about a change. So today, Zanzibar is free. As soon as it got its freedom, it uh, got together with Tanganyika, where President Nyerere is. And the combination of uh, Zanzibar and uh, Tanganyika recently became known as the Republic of Tanzania, uh, 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 two countries that united and are one of the most militant and uncompromising when it comes to the struggle for freedom for our people on the African continent as well as over here anywhere else in this earth. And when I was in uh, Abu Cairo for the Summit Conference, most of you know that my purpose for going there was to try and get the uh, heads of the African states to realize that they had 22 million brothers and sisters here in America who were taking help, and that they could put forth a, uh, a great effort and give us a boost if they would let the world know that they were on our side with us in our struggle against this racism that we've been victimized by in this country for so long. And the press tried to make it appear that the uh, African countries, the African heads of state, were in no way concerned with the plight of the Afro-Americans. But at that conference, toward the end of it, all of the African heads of state got together, and they did pass a resolution thoroughly condemning the continued practice of, of racism against the Afro-Americans in this country, and thoroughly supporting the struggle of the 20 million Afro-Americans in this country of racism against the Afro-Americans in this country, and thoroughly supporting the struggle of the 20 million Afro-Americans in this country for in our uh, effort toward human rights. And I'm, I'm proud to state that the one who was responsible for bringing that resolution forth and getting it agreed upon by the other African heads of state was probably the last one that you and I would expect to do it because of the image that he's been given in this country. But the one who came forth and suggested that the African uh, summit conference pass a resolution thoroughly condemning the mistreatment of Afro-Americans in America and also thoroughly supporting the freedom struggle for human rights of our people in this country was President Julius Nyerere. Julius Nyeri, I was honored to spend three hours with him when I was in Tanganyika in, in Dar es Salaam, which is now uh, Tanzania. And uh, 
It was shortly before this was just became known as Tanzania. I was also able to stay there, I think, for about seven days. And just before this took place, the one who made it possible for me to see him is with us here tonight. When the, the revolution took place on Zanzibar, you and I read about it in this country. They tried to make it appear that it was something that was Chinese or Soviet or everything but what it was. They tried to, again, build that image that would make you and me react to it negatively. And the one whom the Western press said was the guiding hand behind that successful revolution is with us on the platform tonight. I have the greatest honor to introduce to you at this time the minister of from Tanzania, a man who is very closely associated with President Julius Nyeri, the one who is responsible for bringing freedom to the people on the island of Zanzibar and linking them up with Tanganyika and, and developing, developing it into the Republic of Tanzania. He's known as Sheikh Abdurrahman Mohammed Babu. <laughs> Before he comes forth, uh, he just left a dinner uh, with another very good friend of ours, and I say a very good friend of ours, and I, I want to point this out to you, I don't let anybody choose my friend, and you shouldn't let anybody choose your friend. You and I should practice the habit of weighing people and weighing situations and weighing groups and weighing government for ourselves, and don't let somebody else tell us who our enemies should be and who our friends should be. I love a revolutionary. And one of the most revolutionary men in this country right now was going to come out here tonight along with our friend Sheikh Babu. But he thought better of it, but he did send this message. He says, Dear brothers and sisters of Holland, <clears throat> I would have liked to have been with you and Brother Babu, but the actual conditions are not good for this meeting. Receive the warm salutation of the Cuban people and especially those, <laughs> and especially those of Fidel, who remembers enthusiastically his visit to Holland a few years ago. United we will win. This is from Jay Rivera. Some 
So, brothers and sisters, again at this time, a very good friend of mine, I'm, I'm honored to call him my friend. He treated me as a brother when I was in uh, Dar es Salaam. I met his family, I met his children. They are wonderful. He's a family man. Most people don't think of revolutionaries as a family man. All you do is see him and his image on the battle line, but when you see him with his children and with his wife, in that atmosphere at home, you realize that revolutionaries are human beings too. So here is a man who's not only a, a revolutionary, but he's a husband. Could be yours. He's a father. He could be yours. He's a brother. He could be yours. And I say he is all. See, that is. <laughs>